Well, boys, looks like you started the fun without me. You're all sick. Every last one of you. We're going to need a bigger gun. What's the matter? You scared of things that go boom? City, that means I'm Eric Thirteen. <laughs> I'm here with Michael Kester. Yeah, I'm here today to uh, talk about God. Oh, good. Do you have a moment to talk about God? Not enough racket around here, thanks. We're going to do frailty and we're going to do where the green ants dream. So if you haven't seen these movies, highly recommend seeing these movies so you understand uh, what we're talking about because this is double feature a show where we talk about films. If you're not familiar, there's actually a whole back catalog uh, that you can get to, but not for free because it's late stage capitalism and everything costs something. Uh, so patreon.com forward slash double feature. Keep our dreams. We are the green ants in this scenario. Keep our dreams alive. This is where we dream. Mm. Please keep our show going for at least one more week. I just watched a couple movies. Uh, I, I, I overextended my film watching this past week. Yeah. I watched way more than my assignment. And now there's all these other movies I want to put on the show, but I can't if uh, the show goes away. What do you, hold so, on, what, what else are you watching? What are you, can I check in with you? It's been a second. What are you watching? Oh my God, I've watched everything. Well, I don't want to say it. Right. I don't want to tell you on the show yet because I, I feel like the second I name a movie, it means we have to do it on the show. Yes, I understand that, yes. So I don't want to, I'll tell you off the air, but I promise that um, some of them have I was even, trying to give the, the listeners a little something special, you know, I just want Some wanna, of them have even been good movies. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, there have even been some good films. Can I tell you a weird fucking thing I've been doing? Maybe we'll talk about it some other time. <laughs> but, you know, I've been learning French for a few years. Yes. And so I'm trying this radical new thing called a refold, which is, uh, long story short, the idea is insane immersion into the language by any means necessary. That's the only way. It's the right. only way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just don't want to leave New York, so I'm trying to stay here and do it. For sure. And so one of the ways you do this is you watch movies dubbed into French with French subtitles. So... I just watched Army of the Dead entirely in French. Nice. Which, of course, made it a high art film. Yeah. Which was very, very nice. I love that. So this is a weird thing. I'm not obviously doing this for Frailty and We're the Green Ants Dream because they're very strange on their own. <laughs> but I've been watching movies in a twisted new way, and I thought I'd just offer that out to people. How do you say Bill Paxton in French? I guess you want to start with Frailty. Yeah. I think I could probably do a log line for this. Hit me with the logline and I'll tell you uh, everything I know. Okay. I think the logline is something like, we are told in flashback, of a father, overzealous, religious father, thinks he's talking to the angels, commits a bunch of murders, drags his kids along for the ride. Yeah, right? I think that's pretty right. accurate. Yeah, that was not a, that was a really lazy log line. But well, you, you, it's also interesting. We're all friends here, you know what I'm talking about. It's it's also interesting. Um, so hi, uh, if you haven't been to Double Feature before, you're on Double Feature. Both of the you're in a room with at least two atheists right now. 
I'd like to thank Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, <laughs> Christopher Hitchens, RIP. Oh, sorry. The other, the other thing about the room full of atheists you may or may not be in is the only two people with microphones are in fact atheists. So that's where you are. In the world or just on the show? <laughs> Certainly not in the world. Which makes the logline a really fun place to already dismantle this. So your logline is a is a heavily secular logline. It is. It is. Which is cool because, uh, um, well, I was raised Catholic, very Catholic. So just as an experiment, let me play angel's advocate here Boo. and give you the uh, let me give you the religious. Um, this is not a Buffy podcast. You get the fuck out of here with that. I, I just want. I, well, it's important for the rest of this conversation. So a, uh, and I'm not even going to say, because I don't think that the movie is saying that there is any real divinity here, but at least it's trying to leave it open-ended, right? And that's the difference is that a father believes that the Lord is speaking to him to kill the demons around him in his farm town. And he finds out that one of his sons has the gift of finding the demons in people and the other son is lacking the gift. That is certainly a read, yes. That's the other version of... So there's a reason that I want to do this. So this is this was a pair of movies. This was my revenge for last week. So last week you picked the movies and I just went, sure, that sounds good. And then it was really hard and that made me sad. So then I went, I waited for, I waited for a vulnerable moment for you and I just sent you two movies and you sent back thumbs up emoji and I knew I had, I had nailed it. <laughs> So Frailty is actually a movie. Uh, I've mentioned this list so many times on the show that I feel like I'm going to have to dig it up now. But um, there's this list that I saw one of Michael's many discovered listicles way back before listicles were every internet article. And it was like 11, um, it was like 11 movies that are absolute hidden gems that you've never heard of. So the the thing that bought it for me is that Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was on the list. Mm-hmm. And once Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is a Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is a perfect example of a movie no one has seen that everybody will love. That's what that movie is. So this was a movie on that list that I had kind of just like let sleep in my mind until it came up for this conversation, but it's a very interesting movie for the time, for where we are, for where we live. So we are two podcast hosts who live in the United States of America, a country founded on freedom of religion, which is different from freedom from religion. And as the years have progressed in recent times, anybody who is not secular in America have really been trying to let the Lord guide the nation, shall we say. Uh-huh. American conservatives are increasingly, increasingly evangelical Christians and they are making decisions because God, period. And one of the things that I think this movie represents that I really want to begin today's conversation about is this idea of this divine destiny of the Lord speaking to you, not to your superiors, not to the president of the United States, but to random farmer, Bill Paxton and going, Hey, Bill, I need you to kill the demons in your small town. And then of course, because of course it happens this way. 
turns out your small town is rife with demons. If this movie were made in present day, the small town would be rife with angels and they would have to go to the big city to find the demons. Right, yeah. But that's not the movie that we got. So when it comes to any any story, any and I mean this in the context of this movie, but I also mean this in the context of the mania that is Christianity being guided by the good Lord will provide. There's so much convenience in the bullshit. It's all about, okay, so the Lord is telling me to kill people. Well, why is he telling you? You don't get to question. Yeah, sure. Any affront, any attack, anything that could poke even the smallest hole in your God blanket is cast aside as you don't, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Sure. That convenience conveniently ends when you make a point to the contrary, you know, so you abort a baby. Well, how could the Lord have let the baby be aborted if it wasn't part of his, but you decided to kill that baby. That wasn't God's plan. It's almost like it's made up, Michael. It's almost right. Like it's just the thing that's great about this in the context of frailty. So there's another movie that I I thought about doing. Uh, It's a Larry Cohen movie called God told me to kill. uh, That was later shortened to God told me to. And I didn't know that about that movie. Yeah. Uh, oh, weird. Do you know which so, title it has in the, does it say God told me to kill in the opening title? Yeah, I think it does. It's been so but long since kill I've seen Kill is it. like hand scrawled. Kill's like hand scrawled. Yeah. And then it's like God told me to in text and then kill is hand scrawled. Yeah, because I remember the ellipses. This isn't important, but now I'm trying to remember back to sing it. But I feel like this movie is actually a really good conversation for us because it is such a movie movie that deals with this, that us coming to this from a secular standpoint, the whole religiosity of it all is handled very, very early 2000s movie. It feels, you know, it's very visually verbose the demons are all in a slant angle with with pulled focus straight out of in the mouth of madness or prince of darkness or what have you yeah it's funny you said 2000s movie because i just cannot believe this is not a 1990s film like the look of this movie is so down to the cover down that sort of uh you know, movies have these covers that look like they were scanned off a DVD and they just sort of right. like, that was the last <laughs> existing art for the movie. But yeah, it has a lot of these cues that are, I thought are very 90s, although as time passes, that line's getting blurred. You're right. It is very 90s. Um, maybe I'm just inserting the fact that it is a 2000s movie, but it's yeah. my my point, the, the, the era notwithstanding, the point is that this is one of the most like, ham-fisted cinematic God movies that I could think of. Mm -hmm. It's a movie that goes, yeah, God's having this guy kill people. And it's like, there's no elegance to it. You never see the beauty of these murders. It's all just like, ah, scary demon. Okay. Kill him with this Jesus ax. (laughs) It's that's the whole plot. And that's the thing about this movie that I think is, is really special because to go back to our log line debate, the movie actually feels more like your logline, even though it does show you some of these supernatural visuals. Yeah. It's like, it's sort of the thing, you know, it's, it's the big thing about religion period. It's like, there's all this stuff. There's these, maybe there's, you know, I believe in these miracles. I believe in these prayers being answered. I can't believe this is happening. But the one thing you never see is fucking God. 
Yeah. And this movie is, it lives in that place in middle America that I think you and I view that mental space as being very dark and brooding and just like boiling angst. Mm. When I think of this type of person who goes like, God will provide, but I'll swing the hatchet. Like that person's in a scary place. It is cool that there's these two different reads of the movie because it could be a straight up, you know, religious fanatic slasher film. Mm -hmm. It's a movie about a guy who's going around killing people with an axe. Oh, geez, why is he doing that? Uh, You know, because he thinks God told him to. You know, it's almost Zodiac or something. Right. It's just this, it's like Son of Sam, really. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I don't know, pick any fucking serial killer. It seems like three-fourths of them uh, said because God told me to. But actually looking at the movie and seeing how does it portray this, I mean, there usually is a little bit more, in kind of a stock setup of a film, there's more of a tell on where you should arrive. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of the things that's interesting seeing seeing this movie that Bill Paxton directed is the choices he makes as a director. You know, you have a lot of intense performances. You know you're going to get that. It's an actor directing a film. I have yet to see an actor direct a film that didn't have intense performances in it. So you pretty much know that that's, you're going to show up and nail that. But in figuring out What is the cinematic language? How do we depict what this guy's going through to the audience? Something like, what do we talk about on this show? Like, um, just simple, point of view. Mm -hmm. Just something like, whose point of view are we watching the movie from? It doesn't have to be hyper first person. We don't have to follow them over the shoulder. We don't have to see them in every shot. But who is this movie is telling us is right or will be justified or we are rooting for simply who is the protagonist of this movie. Mm-hmm. And so when we see this guy, is he a protagonist? Is he an anti-hero? Is he the antagonist of the film? Is he abusing the kids? So this question is further where the sort of normal thing to do is drive those points home by you know, showing instead of telling, making it subtle, mm-hmm. using... Subtle manipulation, indicators, visual language, just the tools of what you can do in a film, sight and sound, to make this guy sort of look good, make us further understand what he's going through. Right. All of that's kind of subverted. Or at least there are random wrenches sort of thrown into the movie. The one that I'm thinking of is, you know, yeah, God doesn't show up, but we do kind of get you know, he places his hand on somebody's head and we get this sort of like shock pullback or the shock angle, Right. the fucking sound cue. It's the sound cue you would use. You open up your sound bank and you pick like, okay, someone just cast yeah. a magic spell. Someone just used their demonic power. Someone, you know, mm-hmm. that's kind of the, it's this indication that we're being told through having seen and heard this in other films that what we're experiencing is somebody using authentic gifted ability from beyond. Mm -hmm. But we don't get a visual confirmation of that. Right. I think it would be too much to really see God come down and go, yeah, hi, I'm here. This is real. Well, and I think it's also interesting 
too when you're talking about perspective. So this movie is actually, spoiler, told from the standpoint of a character who's dead from the beginning of the movie, right? The entire so, time, please. We, we call it dead the entire time. The whole time. The, the, the main character is told from the, the, the son without the gift who Matthew McConaughey's character initially claims to be the adult version of that son. However, big twist, he's actually the zealot son and the son without the gift was murdered. Who, by the way, I just picture him with the voiceover in the true detective scene the whole movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have this too, but like Absolutely. after you For see- sure. Time is a flat circle. Yes. I'm just, he's in like a fucking metal folding chair or something at a yeah. some nonsense table they threw up. Like, yeah, that's- So you have this, this situation where the only two people who- uh, the only two people who do any any crimes, the only evil people, happen to also be the only people who can see the demons. And your protagonist, the lead of the movie, the kid who you mentioned is tortured, never gets any confirmation of this demon stuff. So the back and forth really, and I don't necessarily know that it's even important, right? And that's that's kind of where I want to take this conversation is like, okay, so sure. My logline is the right logline. Let's say Big Daddy Paxton actually sees these demons. Does that justify taking an axe to the school teacher? There's this block I have, and maybe it, it comes from being an atheist now, but there's this block I have where if you were to tell me truthfully, honestly, that this person is a demon, I still, there's just... I have a I have this cognitive inability to go we should kill them. <laughs> right. Well, I don't have that. At the point where you show up and believe in magical rules, rules in general kind of start to go out the window. <laughs> so what are demons doing here? Do demons get to roam on earth? Is it up to us to decide when to kill the demons or are they just like part of the whole thing? Well, and and it also begs the question like if Bill Paxton, if God had never talked to Bill Paxton and been like I need you to kill the demons, what were the demons doing? <laughs> I mean, good what point. What did they yeah. What were they do? They were milling around minding their own fucking business. You're going to get groceries or you know like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, Although you know, I, I do I think, think they play with that a little bit sometimes like on oh, the crimes you've committed. They yeah, go, oh yeah. yeah, you killed his mom. Yeah. Yeah, which which I thought if anything tips it in the sort of favor of maybe this stuff is real. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of like just generating just coming from nothing, he knows this little fact. How does he know it? Sure. If it's true. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing. It may not be true, or maybe, you know, he does have good detective skills. Maybe he's a true detective. Oh, God. In his Boo. And I just, so so really, in summation, the thing that I want to talk about with frailty that I think is is important for the conversation in the next movie, too, is I feel like this movie... The audience knows these murders are bad, right? Do you think that that there is any point in the movie where it's going, yeah, no, we should definitely be murdering these people? Uh, where the audience thinks that? Yes, the audience. Well, the one layer... Secular, religious, yeah, whatever. Yeah, the one layer we have It feels like the murders are bad murders. The one layer we haven't mentioned is that this could all be unreliable narrator. Right. Because we know our narrator is a liar, 
We know that he says he's killed a lot more people. We, you know, when you see how the movie ends, it's sort of like, I don't know, the, the twistiness of it does cloud this a little bit. But the fact that the audience is not uh, running around in the street killing demons, I suppose only means one of two things, that their moral compass wouldn't allow them to or that nobody has told them where the demons are yet. That's true. So it's a little hard to say where the audience would root for, but, but I guess this goes back to like we're... Like I had mentioned earlier with being maybe an anti-hero. Mm-hmm. You know, does the audience root for Bill Paxton's character in the same way they root for Venom? You know, you know what I mean? Right. Like, is, this, <laughs> is it the same sort of like, hey man, I wouldn't go out there and kill those demons, but I'm glad somebody's doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. I'll look the other way while you kill the demons. You know, I'm not going to step in on that one. I, I would even argue that the intensity that you mentioned and the performances make it really difficult to think that they're doing a good thing. Yeah. Well, it yeah, because it, it, it's manic. It's very, yeah. Uh, yeah. wow, this is a person, you know, one, they're hell-bent on stuff. Two, they are, um, they're cheating in all these, like they're cutting the corners of what the rules of society are. Mm-hmm. Lying to the sheriff, lying to the police and stuff. I mean, this sure. this idea like the law has come into their house and is questioning what's going on or the neighbors want to know or whatever. They're definitely violating laws, lying to cover it up. It seems like, okay, this is God's plan, but we will take any shortcut we can to achieve it because the end justifies the means. And at that point, it really maps better onto serial killer stuff than it does, you know, I have a I have a moral code, you know, Dexter Morgan type stuff. Right, right. Dexter Morgan season one through four type stuff. I don't know when we <laughs> lost the whatever. I knew when I saw Where the Green Ants Dream that this would, uh, that there were some Michael Kester moral conundrums coming my way. <laughs> and especially in the context of this. Yeah. Okay, so the Green Ants Dream. In a similar way to looking at the last movie and knowing it's secretly from the 90s, yeah, I looked at this movie and it really just shattered my whole world for this not to be a documentary. Yeah, It comes on and it's like, oh, a Warner Herzog feature-length film with a, a fictional premise, a script, actors in it. Mm-hmm. And it even kind of has the look that's a little more you know, roaming documentary than it is like Fitzcarraldo or something. Yeah, right. So I don't know, you know, with Herzog, I don't know, let's stick to our premise, first of all. These guys set up in town to move some dirt mm-hmm. for capitalistic purposes. Mm-hmm. What are they? They're actually, they're, they're mining for something interesting. Isn't it like uranium? Yeah. Yeah, so they're doing like, it's, it's like scientific capitalism, mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. When, I guess the natives to yep. this area. Right, the Aborigines. or st- it, it doesn't take much to be there longer than the guys who've just flown in from out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So really anybody could make a higher uh, claim to the land than they have. But, yeah, what did you say? The Aborigines, right? Mm-hmm. So the Aborigines show up and they claim that this land is sacred. Mm-hmm. It is where the green ants dream. Do I have that right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And so, hey, you can't build your McDonald's here, buddy. What are you trying to, you got to right. put that Starbucks over there. The green ants are sleeping. Yeah. And nobody stopped to think maybe the green ants have all these wild dreams because of the uranium. <laughs> Big brain on that. Okay. Maybe you just, that's a free theory for you. You just take that. So, I mean, there's a lot that's interesting to me about where this goes, but we kind of have a setup that feels similar to me to the, like the uh, the kind of 90s wave, the dances with wolves, the, um, uh-huh. you know, we talked about this on Avatar, of course, mm-hmm. which is when everybody was digging Your those white movies devil. up again. Yeah. Yeah. White devil, corporate greed, coming over, stealing native land, building a pipeline. Yeah. Right. And all of that is is super fun. But the reason that this one <laughs> feels really good to me is actually something that you hit on earlier, which is the the uranium of it all. Because it isn't a McDonald's and it isn't an oil pipeline. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, we need this because then we can do clean energy. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Probably not, but let's say. And I just I watched this movie and it was really challenging to me because and you know you you saw this coming a mile away but because I am firmly on the side of the native people I'm like fuck off leave them alone don't build your pipeline go sure, fucking sure. shut the fuck up but as a secular individual who believes that you die and you're dead and that uh you're there's a part of you that 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 is willfully naive if you believe in that sort of greater power. Uh, I don't believe the green ants are fucking dreaming, you know? And it's not something that I really, so to, to put it in, in our more immediate context, there was this, uh, what was the name of the really bad pipeline? What's the pipeline that everybody hates? Keystone. The Keystone. Thank you. So there's this Keystone pipeline, uh, in the United States for anybody not familiar, and it's like going over the Native American land, and they're like, hey, you can't put your pipeline here because we have special magic water or some shit. I don't know. Um, and it's not a Michael fl- says that, but if you look at it, there's probably like literally their houses are there, you know. Yeah, but it's not, it's it's not a it's not a Flint, Michigan water problem. You know, the conversation is it's this sacred land, the idea of sacred land is really is really the meat of this to me, right? Mm. Because I don't believe it exists. I don't think there's such a thing. Um, yeah, do, but you, I, the environment would, is important. Sure. You would, um, I don't know, like the place that I assumed you would come down on this, so let me posit this and you just tell me what you think about it. If somebody has the land first. Sure. And the the government wants to show up or some fucking franchise wants to build a thingy there. Uh, they have to come and ask your permission. Yeah. And whether you, whether you want that land because it's where your house is or because you depend on it or because you just fucking want it or because you want it for some delirious reason or even for some evil ends, it really doesn't matter what the reasoning is because it's your right. It's a little bit like the, you know, defending the right of free speech, whether you agree with the speech or not, right? Right. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. It, it is very complicated. And I think Herzog's probably doing this on purpose, but <laughs> it's very complicated because it is science, it is benevolence. Right. And this sort of clash of science and modern life and in some way technology and then 
the natural earth and the weird beliefs of humans who live there. Mm -hmm. Like this seems to run through a lot of his work. Yeah. We saw this uh, in the last couple of years with the Lo and Behold. Lo and Behold, Mm -hmm. was that the name of that? Yep, Lo and Behold. I think a lot of his documentary work actually, there's a handful of films where at some point in the course of the film, we kind of sit with people who live there and they think something a little strange and he finds like a magical curiosity about that. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a, that's another thing I think about a lot when you are up against some sort of uh, crazy thing you don't believe in is I never know. Herzog is a conduit for me. He finds this kind of... He is able to glamorize in some way or create interest for me on subjects I would never have any interest in. A hundred percent. Yeah, and that that starts with like Grizzly Man and goes all the way down. What is isn't didn't he like make some fucking movie about like holes in rocks? <laughs> yes. He's like this rock has a hole in it, and I'm like, listen, man, I'm glued. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember the name of it, but yeah, he did that. He did that like the the like spelunking movie. Sure, we're going into volcanoes. Yeah. We are. I mean, the Herzog documentaries are are pretty wild. And that was a great thing I loved about his narrative films too, is sort of looking at them and going, okay, well, what's his interest in this thing? I would never have been interested. But as I've said exhaustively, I'm sorry on every Herzog show if you've ever heard any of them. You know, I watch them with an interest in Warner Herzog, not with an interest in the subject matter. Mm-hmm. Because he himself is just such an odd individual mm-hmm. that uh, you're kind of watching him and not the movie to some extent. Right. And really, that has started shaping how I look at the world. Things that I never would have been interested in before that I have completely discounted, maybe uh, something I would have discounted 10 years ago you're alive on the earth and curious enough for a long enough time. And sometimes you just kind of trip over things and go, Oh, like this is sort of, it's weird how people are into this or somebody I like, likes this thing. And like, what are they, what do they see in this? That kernel right there is definitely the piece of Werner Herzog that I don't think anybody does period. I don't think cinematically there's another mind Mm. that goes. So, uh, remember that guy who like dragged a boat over the mountain? Why don't we watch him for three hours? <laughs> yeah, right. There is he has this um, extreme globalistic worldview mm-hmm. where he thinks that um, the conversation around that dude who got eaten by the bears is equally valuable to sitting down with Elon Musk is equally valuable to having Nicolas Cage have a psychic conversation with an iguana is equally comparable to forgot about that. <laughs> this story um, about the Australian natives. Gorbachev. I mean, it's so many of these <laughs> right. that are just like the same yeah. human. These are like whose yeah. who's mood board is all of these. Right. The Warner Herzog Trapper Keeper. I just don't understand why all of this is in it. I think that where the Green Ants dream is also the thing you mentioned about how it's hard to believe it's not a documentary. I can't, I don't know if, um, if ever Werner Herzog were to do a documentary on Werner Herzog or just like on documentaries or something, I feel like he would have to cite this movie as what if you could do both simultaneously? 
because these activists, the Aboriginal activists, are the actual activists from this event. Mm -hmm. So like not really actors, but they are acting, uh, but they are activists. Blurring those lines and, and putting those pieces of reality into this movie, again, make it super challenging to me because it's not actors. I'm literally watching, you know, there's something about it to, to go back to what I was originally saying. Like, I think it's stupid. I don't think the green ants are dreaming. That's what I said. But like when the two guys who like do really believe the green ants are dreaming are literally in the movie. Oh, sure. Going, yeah. I'm immediately like, well, I mean, I'm not going to argue with these guys about whether yeah, or not the green ants are dreaming. Of course. I have a re an automatic reverence to them. But if it was fucking, you know, Vin Diesel, I'd be like, fuck this guy. <laughs> I don't care. There's no green ants dreaming. Yeah, right. You know? Right. There's this, it's it sort of like systematically breaks down my natural defense to be like, just fucking fix, put the, get your uranium mine in there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously, you know, you're talking about the ownership of property versus something like eminent domain. And that is all a wonderful conversation to button it up without having to answer the bigger question. But like in a world where there's a piece of property, there's a there's a place mm -hmm. that could could greatly enrich human beings lives. But somebody's like, no, because one time Jesus peed there. Fuck that person. That's nonsense. <laughs> right, right. Unless they wind up being the protagonist of the film and then Michael kind exactly. of feels for them. <laughs> for sure, exactly. <laughs> One of the things that Herzog is really good at, and I don't know that this works universally, but man, it works for me. But he does get me into, like I see what he's talking about when he mm -hmm. shows us these things and go, here's what's kind of interesting about this. And you know, he'll say something like overly existential about the nature of man or what the fuck ever by just mm -hmm. looking at some mundane image. Right. Guy. Like his, if, if, you, if you need a great example of this, Please. just look up Werner Herzog's chicken video. I <laughs> just kind of, yeah. Actually, I was just going to be like, I don't know, like if there's a chicken and then I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, so he'll find... He'll find something fascinating in this. But when he positions that to the audience, I will often go, oh yeah, I, I see what he's talking about here. I see like mm -hmm. what he's getting at. There's a moment in this that, uh, that that's sort of done with a proxy where you know the guy in the store, they're all sitting in the store and they're talking about like how crazy this is or whatever. And the guy goes, well you know, they're good for business. More children, more customers. And I'm kind of left with this, like, man, if that isn't the entire, uh, the entire response right there is sort of like, <laughs> you can overthink it and overthink it and try to create lines and legalese and morality. But here's this guy who's in, uh, you know, he's got a, a I don't know, fucking 7-Eleven or whatever. He's got a grocery store set up mm -hmm. on what used to be Holy Land for them. And they're still coming in and using it. And he's kind of just like, he's found some way of allowing the capitalism, the commerce to leave these people alone. And it wound up being just as good. I mean, this is also, so we've, we've left a lot of the capitalism out of this movie. But there is something about like how much of it is just kind of fucking made up 
where like that guy could stand there and go, well, I thought about it and they're bad for customers, so I have to get rid of them. Or it could go, well, I thought about it and it's good for customers, so I let them stay. Mm-hmm. And none of this is based on anything. These people just all fucking make things up. Right. You know, the sort of like bad market research that winds up just being, you know, the the structures of capitalism are such that it's like so ego-driven and it's very, uh, very seldom is there hard evidence data around things. It's not science, which is what we're really here to do in the movie, where we make judgments based on logical systems. It's kind of like weak whims. Somebody goes, no, no, no. This is a good idea because I thought of it. I think it's good. Sure. So we're actually doing this one. And it's kind of like, well, if you could just find the Venn diagram where the idea that you, for whatever fucking reason, think is genius also happens to be the kind one that doesn't, you know, destroy people. And I feel like that is a lot of what's happening, even with the scientists we're following. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the coolest thing about this movie is what sets it apart from these other corporate conglomerate takes over native land, uh, that kind of trope of a movie. Mm -hmm. He's extremely kind. You know, he has a friendly relationship with the people who are kind of his adversaries here. Mm -hmm. His job is sort of becoming like, well, really, he can't do his job because they're standing in the way and he's trying to figure out a solution. But the solution doesn't turn into menace mm-hmm. you know he's really trying to yeah there's work no with it's them. not a final solution situation well yeah totally he's right? like well wouldn't it be convenient if they just stopped stopping us well that's what i mean right that's always mm-hmm. what happens in these movies always sure. what happens and he's a human being and he shows up and he's kind of won over to their side i mean i guess we do see that sometimes in movies like this mm-hmm. but it's not really that he starts out from a really hardened position and the arc is that he's won over he sort of shows up and goes, wow, this is really a problem and learns more about it. And it's what I think is at the heart of it is a lot more the structures of um, of this kind of like when a rock meets a hard place. Mm-hmm. So when they're doing the bartering, he goes there and he's like, okay, I've been authorized to give you this. And they're like, yeah, we, we don't want that. Like, okay, I know, hard bargain, that's fine. But actually, they have authorized me. I will, and he gets to stuff that's like, we'll, we'll put up a museum for you, and you can run the whole museum. Or the, the one I love is when he's, he's like, okay, they've authorized me. We're, what we'll do is we will actually give you a share of the mine. And you can see on him how much of like, there was some bureaucratic conversation and they're like, oh, we don't want to give them a financial stake. But you know what? If that's what's going to, this, it's come to this. Mm-hmm. We just want this problem to go away. It's going to hurt us. It's going to hurt us to give them financial share. But we'll do it if that's what it's going to take to just, we're, we've run the numbers and that's what we have to do. And you see how much he says that. And it just, they don't even know what that means. They don't give a fuck about that. So there really isn't a pure evil taking place here. The conflict is just, you know, sometimes you negotiate something with someone and what you're really looking for is a situation where both of you get more of what you want. 
the win-win, right? I mean, I'm not saying anything right. like fucking revolutionary here. You just, <laughs> it's just like, hey, wouldn't it be good if actually I did this and you did this, and that way it's it's better than it currently is for both of us. Oh, good, solved, let's do it. But this is like the fucking opposite. Like they both need things that are completely opposed to one another, and no, and those guys are willing to come back to the table and talk to him over and over and over. Right. And everybody's friendly, and they just cannot find overlap. Sure. Where like right at the root, of what they want, there is a conflict, which is they need something, you know, and he explains it with the church metaphor, like holy ground just doesn't, there's no share that's gonna Mm -hmm. make them unbelieve it's holy. Obviously only a free airplane could do that. I mean, right. (laughs) Anyways. (laughs) All right. We have a website, patreon.com forward slash double feature. A big thank you. To Henrik Dinter, the Abbot of Unreason, Tom Leonard, Tony Gleed, and John, who are the executive producers of our show. Thank you, guys. We hope this has been an adequate airfield we have built here for you. Um, I, you know, I, I left all my green ant jokes on the field today, so. Do green ants dream of electric sheep? Oh, there it is. I was just, <laughs> I was like, don't make that joke. Nobody, there's no... There's no cross purpose to it. It's just a lazy Philip K. Dick reference. Michael, I'm so glad you came to join us on the show I'm today. I'm here for that. That's me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so glad. I had explained who Philip K. Dick was to somebody the other day. And I was just sort of like, yeah. he wrote like this and this and this. And, you know, their eyes aren't lighting up. So I'm like, yeah. he's, um, he, w- he was sort of crazy. He was kind of like a crazy guy. I thought like the government was after him. And, and they sort of were, I guess. Yeah. This is why you have double feature. So you can go in the back catalog, learn about Philip K. Dick. I don't know why he's getting mentioned on this show. (laughs) Patreon.com forward slash double feature. What are we doing next time? Anything. Could be anything. We're doing Brokeback Mountain and the death of Dick Long. Wow. Watch more fucking film. All right. Bye.